Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now, here's your host, Dr. Nick. What might be the most surprising aspect of the pandemic was the number of organizations and individuals who were able to adjust to the new environment we all found ourselves in. The speed with which general life unfolded into something new took us all by surprise. One day we were going to work, the next we were not. One day everyone was flying for business and the next day airports had become desolate buildings that you expect to see tumbleweed blowing across the concourse. The challenges were widespread and impact felt throughout, but nowhere more so than healthcare that was not only enduring the same limitations on in-person attendance, but also finding itself on the front line of dealing with patients sick with a novel disease that came with few ready-made answers. Healthcare staff throughout the world were struggling with access to knowledge and communications as they tried to learn as much as they could on behalf of the patients they were treating with this new disease. Grassroots efforts built disease guides online using shared resources. An unofficial WhatsApp group exploded into existence, quickly reaching the technical maximum number of participants as details of these resources were spread by word of mouth. Frontline staff had a clear direction, and as we saw, the world was filled with heroes who wore masks, surgical scrubs and white coats. But for the other essential staff who sit behind the scenes in most healthcare facilities, running systems, scheduling cases, ordering and stocking supplies, and just making our healthcare system work, most found themselves physically displaced from their workplace and relegated to a home office that for many did not exist and was not equipped for that role it was now needing to fill. Moving resources and support remote while finding your own work environment moved remote was filled with challenges and barriers. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Reed Stefan. He's the CIO at St. Luke's who successfully navigated the rapid shift to remote work, building a new sense of team spirit and supporting clinical staff to deliver the essential care to their community. Hi, Reed. Welcome to the show. Nick, thank you so much. Uh, glad to have this conversation with you. So you run a hospital, you're a CIO, um, you've uh, endured, survived, not sure what the right word is for the pandemic experience, um, yeah. but I think you navigated that um, successfully, but it brought a bunch of pressures. Tell us a little bit about what you thought was going to be the case and how it all unfolded. Yeah, you know, I think we all earned our merit badge with this one. Um, you know, I'm just going to start with the workforce because that continues to be a top of mind item. And so, you know, wind the clock back, 
uh, 27, 28 months ago. And it was interesting because we suddenly very rapidly for non-clinical staff had this kind of a statewide encouragement as well, like work remote, like let's people keep people at home and not traveling out and about the community. And we had just dabbled really in remote work up to that point. Uh, luckily, we had some good infrastructure in place in the form of some collaboration tools like Microsoft Teams. Uh, we had you know, a good cache of laptops and equipment to send folks home with. So we really rapidly went from an average of you know, maybe one to 200 people kind of connecting concurrently remotely to close to 1,000 to 1,500 kind of in peaks uh, seemingly overnight. And so the initial focus was, how do we make sure the technology functions? Like, how do we make sure that the VPN tunnel has enough pipe to handle this volume now? Um, how do we make sure that people then at home have connectivity they need to do the work that they need to do? Like, we have to give them some guidance so they know if they have to maybe request additional speed from the ISP. Uh, and then we had to think about things we hadn't thought about, which is, you know, how do we help an employee secure some of their personally owned equipment at home, namely their router for their internet connectivity, knowing that there's all kinds of models and makes that are out there. So we put together some really simple best practice, you know, FAQs for employees to adhere to, but also operated with the idea that we're just going to have to assume that's kind of a hostile network in their environment. And so there were certain things we didn't support. We didn't support printing at home. Uh, we made sure they had to come in through a secure VPN tunnel. We had endpoint device tools on their laptop so we could really kind of monitor what might be happening there. So we got our heads around, our arms around the technology as aspect really quickly. And then the next thing that manifested itself that we hadn't really thought of deeply was just the, just the cultural impact to then suddenly going from office dwellers to home dwellers and how do you maintain the, the serendipitous relationships that happen at a printer or at the coffee station? What we found was that individual teams actually started to bond more closely than they had in the office because they were doing weekly huddles or sorry, daily huddles. And in the daily huddle, you would see someone's background picture or you would see an animal walk in the background or a child. And so people made more human connections than they were in the office. But then we noticed that inter-team dynamics, silos kind of slowly started to, to grow and those walls thickened because the work became much more transactional between teams. And so rather than, I'm going to go ask Bill for this, it was like, okay, I've got to ask the cyber team. And you know those guys, like they say no to everything. So we've had to be really intentional about um, acknowledging that risk and then learning together, like, what are things that we can do to create connections and avoid that challenge then of, of this siloed mindset between teams. So that's been a, an ongoing conversation. Uh, it's still something we're mindful of today. It's a little bit easier now that we're in a hybrid model and we've got days where folks are in the office, but it's still, I think longer term, that's still a potential challenge for us to work through. And then you throw in onboarding new employees who then don't have the luxury and benefit of any historical relationships. And it takes them potentially longer to develop those because they're just not in physical proximity with people like they were in the past. 
You know, it, it's interesting you bring up that sort of initial rollout because yeah, as, yeah. as I think about that and technical support for individuals that are remote and, you, you know, I'm just going to call out my mother who <laughs> I, I was tech support and I was remote. We're talking country remote. Yes. And it, probably one of the most difficult, frustrating experiences even with FaceTime and video activities, um, it was a challenge to explain things to people that didn't have sufficient context. Yes. How did you manage to navigate? It sounds like the sort of foundation of decent um, knowledge base that people could access, maybe distributing. Um, what were the sort of key elements that really helped people um, successfully emerge from that with a good setup and feeling like they had, you know, sufficient connectivity to do the job that they were being asked to do? Yeah, it's a really great question and certainly a, a hurdle we had to figure out how to get over. Um, sending, uh, you know, field services folks to someone's home, one, we couldn't scale it, two, you know, there were some HR and some other kind of concerns just about that, which is understandable. So we did our best to, as you described, provide a nice um, knowledge repository. Uh, there was a multi-group that came together and put together a remote worker playbook that had just, you know, one resource, a lot of tips and tricks, uh, a lot of pictures and visual kind of learning guides as well to assist people with the simple things like, you know, here's how your laptop, here's how you connect it to an external monitor with an HDMI cable, which, you know, maybe to you and I, you don't need to guide for that. That's so easy. But there were folks where it's like, what, what's an HDMI cable? And so you have to like start at that lowest level of maybe familiarity with the, the product set and not just words, but like pictures and maybe even some videos that kind of show people how to do it. So we found an omni-channel approach worked really well. Um, they could always call the help desk, but we wanted to avoid that load on the call capacity. Also recognizing that um, there's maybe limited effectiveness trying to verbally explain something to somebody in their home. So that was a path, but then also the self-help guides, some self-help videos. We also then within Teams identified super users. So for example, the accounting team, there might be an accounting employee in that group who is really tech savvy. And so he then kind of, or she volunteered as the super user for their group. And that was then a phone or friend that that team could have someone they know, someone they're familiar talking with. And that worked out really, really well. Yeah, it, it, I, I like that. Phone a friend, in, interesting IT support sort of uh, uh, opportunity. Um, clearly, you know, providing that sort of foundation, I think, made a, a, a big difference. Um, you know, the visual and you talk about HDMI and I'm pretty sure there's more than one version of HDMI. I'm just going to say yeah. because I feel like even with my understanding, I've been flummoxed by that. So, um, you, you know, tremendous sort of, I think, uh, infrastructure and support with super users. Now you have, okay, so you've, you've managed to do that. And I'm thinking of clinicians specifically because not all of them would necessarily have that familiarity. It's not, you know, for many of them, it's almost, I don't want to, I don't care. But you've also got a security issue. And I heard some things, uh, you know, specifically 
treating all endpoints as threat vectors, I think, um, you, you know, which, okay, so uh, uh, that's a different interaction. But you also talked about some monitoring. And I've certainly seen people resist that, not least of all, because it feels, you know, that's invasive. You know, what, what, what are you monitoring? What are you doing with that information? How did you handle that? Yeah, we we have a saying on our cyber team, like uh, never waste, you know, a good crisis headline. And unfortunately, or fortunately, there's no shortage of headlines out there of healthcare specific cyber attacks that result in a data breach or a ransomware incident that are costly, but also incredibly, incredibly impactful. So we really just approached it from a, an enterprise risk management perspective. And it was on this hand, we got the risk of this day and age, we know that attackers, they're not breaking in, they're logging in. Like they're essentially using phishing to acquire credentials, logging into the device, moving laterally and kind of traversing from there. So there'd been enough awareness and training across the enterprise that employees understood like this is a real risk. So then as we rolled out a, an endpoint um, response tool that was really lightweight, it, we didn't make a big deal about it. It was only on St. Luke's own kind of equipment. And so it was really kind of a non-event. And so we didn't, we didn't get any, any pushback there. Now, when it comes to a personal device, like if we, like for someone's cell phone, if we say, okay, uh, you can use a cell phone um, to access your St. Luke's email, but we're gonna, we're gonna install a client on there that's gonna let us containerize and control what you access. There was, there was pushback there. And our approach was, I mean, that's valid, um, but it's a privilege to be able to access work content on your personally on mobile device and to earn that privilege, like these, this is the expectation. This is the contract that you kind of essentially sign. So it gives, still gives people the choice. Like they don't, it's not required that they access email on their phone, but if they want to, these are the rules of the road. And that's, that's worked for us relatively well. I, I, I think a you know, decent approach. And I, I would assume if, you know, there's a need for remote access on a device. There's even the potential that they could get a, a corporate provided device if they didn't yeah, want yeah. to use their. So, so I think options, you, yeah. you know, in that sense, provide a better path, you know, less resistance. You, you talked a little bit about the walls and, you know, I, I couldn't agree more about the sort of connectivity. In fact, e even more intense because we're much closer. I, uh, you know, the visual I always talk about is it's like you're face to face in a meeting with five or six people. So you do, yeah. you get to know them a, a better. But yeah, that yeah. cross-functional piece, you talked about the walls. How did you go about breaking that down? That must have been a challenge. Yeah, we, so we, we hit it head on. So in all hands meetings with our departments, we would raise this as, hey, we're seeing this. We think this is potentially a concern and a risk that if we leave it unaddressed, may start to erode and have some um, suboptimal results for the culture of our department. I also do what I call just small group meetings where twice a month, I just get together with uh, 10 to 20 folks in the department and just have like a casual, you know, virtual fireside chat. And I'm always just asking, like, you know, what are you sensing? What are your ideas? 
And we found that was like engaging the entire department in the conversation. And, you know, one, are we off, are we off base or do you feel like this is a real risk? And then if it is a risk too, like how do we maybe go about heading that off? And so that was just a wealth of uh, perspective and ideas then that came in from the department. And then as we executed on some of those ideas, like we had vested participants. And so, for example, we did a barbecue earlier this summer, um, you know, as the, the Omicron variant subsided and some of the requirements at the system were lessened around masking and gathering. And that was the idea of kind of some collective voices on the team. And so it was a great event because it was funny because I was walking around, there was probably two to 300 folks at this outdoor barbecue. And I heard things like, like, dude, like you've gotten old or, um, you know, I didn't know you were so tall. People that had never met each other in person. And so it was just, it was fun to kind of see those human connections occur. And then we've tried to create a workspace that as people come into the office, like it's inviting, um, there's, you know, some of the fun things you have in an office. Like one of the things was um, we want to build an arcade machine that we put in the office. And so we carved out a couple thousand bucks and sent a group of four or five, you know, folks that have done this before and they built an arcade machine and they designed graphics and skinned it out and the software to run like 2000 arcade games. So just some, some fun things then combined with just normal work activities to create those human connections so that again, people refer to each other by a name versus by a team or a function name. Uh, but I think the secret sauce for us was not trying to have my group of senior leaders sit in a conference room and figure it out, but like, this is a department problem. So let's bring the department along in solving how we address this. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, the, the mutual task uh, around a, a, a you know, non-work related problem uh, of building an arcade machine sounds like fun. It's something that I would definitely want to come and visit and play some of my historical uh, yes. uh, space invaders and all of those things that were super simple at the time, but uh, <laughs> never felt it when I was playing. Um, yes. So you, you've successfully navigated this. I think it sounds like you know there's a, a decent balance. You, you've had the in-person, which is, I, I always describe it as height assessment opportunity, because that's the <laughs> one thing you don't know in, in uh, the, the matrix. Um, telehealth was the clear, everybody needed it. You rolled that out. I think you know, it sounded like there was a big up tick of all of that yeah. but what are the what were the other top three projects that you had that you know you continue to focus on through that yeah um cybersecurity was an ongoing focus for us um you know we accelerated we had a, a two-year plan and then the team came forward and said based on the risk that we're seeing and the threats that we're assessing we can't wait two years and so we went to the board and compressed that into six months, which meant more funding. So we had to bring in some contractors to help accelerate the work. So, and that's one of our top system risks. So that was there. Uh, another one outside of the telehealth arena was um, being sensitive to workforce fatigue, especially like clinicians who were just exhausted and still today are. So we really tried to create a center of, of expertise around automation, intelligent automation and, and process automation. 
and identify those copy and paste type activities, you know, the elements of someone's job that kind of suck the joy out of them because it's so repetitive in nature and it has to be done, but they don't feel like it derives, they don't drive great value and it's not operating at the top of their expertise. So we've looked at ways to, to automate those repetitive tasks out of work to free up capacity for employees to work at a higher level of their licensure or expertise, or maybe just to give them a little bit of a break uh, in their day. And so those are, those are the top two. Uh, the third one is connected still to the workforce thing, really focusing on figuring out this hybrid balance. Um, we rejected extreme kind of views. One is be in the office five days a week. We're going to have pressure monitors on your seats to make sure you're there. The other one is we're going to sell all of our buildings and everyone works remote. I think those are both problematic. So trying to find that, that middle spot of giving employees flexibility, which is what they want. So really trying to thread that needle so that we didn't lose talent based on having them come to the office just for the sake of coming to the office. So I, I, I think a good blend of uh, projects and, and direction. As you look back, do you have a good sense? I mean, the automation especially, I, I think would be a winner no matter what yeah, was yeah. going on. It, it sounds like that would be a real uh, positive impact on workforce retention around clinicians and, and so forth. Have you seen that relative to the industry metrics, which are, you know, all problematic? Yeah, we've, we've seen it in shared services functions. Um, on, the, on the clinical side, we're like everybody else. Like nursing is such a challenging staffing model right now. Uh, we have a lot of travelers that are still on site today just to feel the, the need we have for the nursing capacity. Uh, we've had nurses who, um, you know, have left the profession just because of the strain and stress of the last couple of years. So that's an area that we are really acutely focused on to figure out what can we do technology wise to make their lives better, to make things easier. Uh, to help them mentally, emotionally, ergonomically, whatever it might be, uh, so they can rediscover the joy of what brought them into nursing to begin with, because it's been a long couple of years, and it's still, we still have a heavy lift ahead to kind of get the shit back on course in that arena. So bringing the joy back to healthcare and medicine, I think, you know, tremendous opportunities, but still some challenges ahead. Reed, thanks for joining me today. Nick, thanks. Really enjoyed the conversation. Rolling out a remote workforce that, like so many other places, was unprepared to fully move to an online model, started by building on the existing infrastructure and capitalize on the incredible talent found in the organization. Building a robust set of guidelines that provided basic information to staff struggling to navigate a new world and not fully equipped or conversant in technology was foundational. Capitalizing on the changes to build a different community became an added strength and one that helped build stronger, more resilient teams. But above all, using the crisis to drive innovation and importantly build a secure working environment that was better prepared and more resilient to cyber attack proved to be a great opportunity. Your better pill to swallow is to build community and break down the walls that may have emerged as a result of remote or hybrid working environments. 
But above all, use the crisis and the learning to identify non-value-added tasks that do little more than frustrate staff and investing in automation that removes as much of the drudgery and repetitive tasks as possible. Your staff, already struggling with burnout, will thank you by staying the course and not joining the big resignation, reducing staffing stresses and threats to your organization. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.